Well, I was praying, but I would ask you as well, if you could not check swing states for about 40 minutes, I would greatly appreciate it, all right? It'll still be there when you get back. Um, Hey, listen, we did have two members of our church win congressional seats last night. Andrew Clyde barely pulled out a victory with 80% of the vote, just barely squeaked that one in, uh, which I don't know if I've ever seen 80% of the vote go one way. And then uh, Jody Heiss, a uh, faithful member of our church and Sunday school teacher, uh, won last night as well, which we're thankful for that. And um, Houston Gaines, who's a friend of mine who I brought to church a couple of weeks ago, I'm just so thankful for his consistent stand. I really didn't think after the stands he had taken in the last couple of years, he had any chance of, uh, of re-election. But so some good news and we're thankful for that. So we're going to get to Acts chapter 2 in a little bit, uh, but not for a little bit, all right? That's going to be kind of our practical application at the end of this. You know, these messages we're doing on Wednesday nights are a bit different. Uh, They tend to be more systematic theology, meaning instead of uh, just taking a text and exposing it, as is my habit every Sunday morning, uh, we're taking topics and trying to flesh them out. And this is why you have a study like what we often call systematic theology, meaning there is a place for taking a subject and saying, what does the whole Bible say about this subject? We need that type of, uh, of thinking. And so that's really what we're doing in this season on Wednesday evenings. Uh, what we're talking about for the last few weeks, and this is actually the last night of this specific series, is we're talking about what does it mean to live life in community? We believe as a church that our mission is to lead people to trust and follow Jesus. That's it. It's the great commission. Everything we do, whether you're an unbeliever or a believer, is we want to lead you to trust and follow Jesus. Uh, The way in which we do that, the way in which we help you trust Jesus more and follow Jesus more, is to lead you and equip you in three primary ways. To live an upward life of worship. That's you and your relationship with God. Through your personal time with the Lord, through your experience with him, We also want to lead you in an inward life in community. That's life in the church and an outward life on mission. So we did worship. We're finishing up community tonight. Next week we began, I think, about five weeks leading up to Christmas on Wednesday nights on mission, living a life on mission. But tonight, I kind of want to kind of wrap this up as we've been making this logical progression. And you might uh, remember this from the past few weeks, and I'm going to be walking through this. If you didn't get one of these, they're by the doors, and you're welcome to get up and get one. But we have defined community as sacrificially participating in each other's lives, or I think we say it, participating sacrificially in each other's lives. It is this idea of being engaged in each other's lives in a sacrificial way. So a participation. Uh, I was studying Philippians 2 this morning because I've been asked to speak at a a school on Friday in the area on Philippians chapter 2. And it talks about this participation of the spirit that we have, that we participate together in the spirit and with one another. So we're participating sacrificially in each other's lives. That's community. So we started off by saying that God has created us for community, that we will never fully ever be alive outside of community. And the reason is, is because you were created in God's image. God is a community. So you living in isolation will actually never come to experience the fullness of everything God has for you. It is possible for you in isolation to get some taste of the things of the Lord and to make a little bit of spiritual growth. But I assure you with absolute confidence, you will never really grow in the Lord, nor will you really be conformed in his image or really experience mission or life as it was tended to be without the complicated relationships that the church provides. 
this is necessary because God created us that way. We talked the next week about the fact that sin distorted that community. So God created us for it, but sin made all of that messy. Uh, all of the shame and the guilt and the hiding that we have uh, because of sin just draws us away away from community. And now because of social media and all kinds of other things, and because of things like online worship, uh, we just have a tendency to draw back from community because it's, it's just easier uh, to live in isolation than it is in community. And we find ourselves just living alone and isolated and all that's because of sin. It's made it very difficult. But what we talked about last week is this, is that Jesus Christ came not only to reconcile us to God, but to reconcile us to each other. Part of Jesus's death was to make it possible for us to have relationships once again. Without Jesus, we could never experience real friendships. There is no real intimate marriage outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ because it's only through the cross of Jesus Christ that we're brought back into the possibility of having a relationship together. So how I would say it is this, is that the cross created the possibility for community. The cross made it possible for you to have relationships, the kind that you have to have if you're ever going to flourish and have life and grow, okay? Now, tonight, we want to take it to that final step to say this. So we're making this logical progression, and we end community with this. The church is the context in which true community is cultivated. I tried to get more C's, but I just, that was all I could get in. The church is the primary context in which real community happens. So God has said, you were created for community. Sin makes you run from it. Jesus died to bring it back. And what I would say is this, the cross created the possibility for it to happen, but where that is cultivated and actually becomes a reality is the church. You know this, right? You know that just because Jesus died for you to experience it doesn't mean you're experiencing it. Do we know that? There is an infinite number of things that we can experience through Christ that we're not experiencing because of our unwillingness to go after them. This is true. We've talked about this before. One of the reasons heaven is going to be eternally exhilarating is because every single moment we're going to gain new knowledge and insight into God. It's going to lead us to this joyful worship. So this never ending experience of revelation and worship, because there's never going to be an end to what we can learn about God for all of eternity. So there's all of these things that God is offering us. He's saying, listen, I died so you didn't have to be a slave to sin. I died to help you with that conflict. I died to take care of that addiction. I died for this and this. You can experience that, but you must humble yourself and go after it and make it a reality. So what I'm saying is this. Through the death of Jesus Christ, it's possible for you to have community, but you got to step into it. Philippians 2 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What I say about that text is this. You have to work out what God worked in. You can't work in your salvation. Only God can do that. But you can work it out. And the church is the context, is the place in which we, through our own humility and death to self and engagement and sacrificial effort and humble service, begin to experience community. But in a sense, that's up to you. Okay? We're going to talk about what that looks like in a minute. I just want to give you four really quick truths, okay? I'm going to go these pretty quickly. They're all right here on your sheet if you'd like to see it. If you have a question, you can text that question. I'll try to have some time at the end to answer it. 
Uh, and I love hearing random questions, but if you could try to keep those on topic, that would be great. Uh, no election questions tonight. So I did have a funny thing about a month ago. I told Sky, I said, uh, hey, I'm going to preach on election uh, in a couple of weeks. He said, man, you're getting bold. And uh, he thought I meant like God predestined us before the foundation of the world. I said, no, the election that we're going to have. <laughs> I think the other one would have taken more boldness than I did last Sunday. So um, I want to go through four truths here uh, for a minute. The first one is this, is that God has always had a community. Meaning God has always had a people. When God came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he said, Abraham, I'm choosing you and I'm going to make a nation out of you. God's intention was to create a nation, to create a people. And he was going to send Abraham out by faith, not knowing where he was going, to create this nation. And it was through that nation that God was going to make himself known. Exodus 6, 7 and 8 says, I will bring you out and I will deliver you and I will redeem you and I will make you my people. I was thinking about uh, God's deliverance from Exodus yesterday as I was writing this and I kept thinking about how many times the Lord said, let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. Because God has always had a people. Titus chapter 2 says this, as God purifies for himself a people for his own possession. God has always had a people. And God's plan has always revolved around that people. We always see these heroes in the Old Testament in the context of his people, in the context of a community. I talked a little bit about that verse in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. I would encourage you to write that down. All of 1 Peter 2 is helpful uh, for this message. But he says that you are a cho chosen people, a, a royal priesthood, a people, he says, for my own possession. Christ died to gather a people for his own possession. And everything I'm going to say tonight goes so contrary to everything we think about the Christian life. Jesus died to save me, true, but he died, died to save a people. He's gathering a people. Everything he's doing in your life is in terms of you in, involved in a people. God has always had a community. The next truth is this, is God has always had a distinct community. Meaning his intention has always been that he would call a people out and he would declare them holy. You're a people holy unto me, meaning it's always been his intention for his people to not look like all the other people. This was the constant issue of the people uh, as they were in the promised land. And before they get in the promised land, they just wanted to be like the other nations. The other nations have a king. We want a king. The Lord says, I'll be your king. I know, but they have a real king and he wears a crown. And he's got a sword and we want one of those. And they just always want to be like the other people. And God says, I don't want you to be like any other people. I want you to be my people, holy unto me. I think it has always been the most difficult thing for the people of God to realize God has created them to be distinctively, obviously, conspicuously different than every other group of people in the world. One of the things I like to say to students all the time is if you have any desire to walk with Jesus at all in the context of middle school, high school, college, you have to be willing to look incredibly abnormal. Because God is called a holy people. It has always been his desire. And there's a bunch of verses I put there. But the third truth is this. Is God has always conformed people into his image through community. So I'm saying that God gathers a people. And then, by the way, the whole book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy 
is all about stopping the people and saying, okay, before you get into the promised land, I want to help you know how to be different. That's what it is. That's all it is. I want you to be a holy people. So he stops them, gives them all these rules and regulations so they won't look like the other nations. And then it is his desire through that community to mold them into that holy people. In other words, this desire God has for them to look different and to be holy doesn't happen outside of community. That's always the way that God has worked. We see throughout the Old Testament that as the community goes, it seems the individuals go. The community is the most powerful force in determining the direction that you go. Another great thing to say to our kids, right? The people you hang out with are going to determine the direction that you go. So it is your community is determining your direction. That is a powerful force in your life. I was thinking about Deuteronomy 6, in which it talks about children and how we're going to raise up the next generation as we get into the promised land. And the whole context is this. Parents, if you love God, and if you keep away from idols... And if you keep your heart in tuned and you just talk about the things of the Lord, then we will raise up a next generation, hopefully, that is walking with the Lord. Now, we have no control fully over how the next generation goes. They have their own wills and desires to do what they want. But the paradigm is this. Walk with Jesus. Keep yourself away from idols. And in the context of a community, they will grow into the knowledge of Christ. I mean, you think about John 13 through 17, all of those chapters where Jesus is about to leave his disciples. And what he's saying to them is through your service and feet washing and through your love and through all of these things, you are going to look like a distinct people and I'm going to make you look like me. But it is always through the context of a community. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 4 where it talks about how God has given us each spiritual gifts and put us in the context of the body. It says this, that the only way you're gonna ever grow into the full stature of the measure of Christ, meaning the only way you're ever gonna really look like Jesus is if you're in a sacrificial community. Because there's certain things that God wants to do in your life, we're gonna talk about this in a minute, that will only happen when you get into the community and you're forced to see your own sin exposed and you're forced to be humble and to serve and to die to self for the sake of someone else. So God's plan has always been through a community to grow you into Christ's likeness. Now, the final truth is this, is that God has always accomplished his mission through community. God has always accomplished his mission through community. In Genesis 12, I'm going to create this people, and through this people, the nations are going to be blessed. I love what Isaiah says to the people of God. I have called you by name, and I have created you for my glory. You as a people display the glory of God. The reason we have a body of Christ, and I love this picture in Acts 1, where at the very beginning of Acts 1, Luke tells Theophilus, who he's writing to in his second letter, he says, in my first letter, I wrote to you about what Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, in this second letter, Acts, I'm telling you what Jesus continues to do and teach. Well, you say, well, Jesus is ascended. How does he continue to do his work through the ministry of the church? But you realize that Jesus was perfect in every way. He was complete in every way. He lacked nothing. And in order for us to be the body of Christ, listen to this, it takes all of our gifts together in order to be the body of Christ. Like you've got like one, maybe two things that you do. People ask me, Josh, if you weren't pastoring, what would you do? I said, I got one thing. Like this is all I got. Like I got nothing else. I don't know anything. I, could, I love plants. I could sell plants. I got nothing else. This is, I got one thing that I can add to the church, okay? This is my thing. 
And so me left alone is not gonna be able to accomplish the mission of God. We need the whole body of Christ. So how does God accomplish his mission? Well, you use your gift and you use yours and you use yours and yours and yours and yours. And then all of a sudden we've got the body of Christ and we're accomplishing the mission, but not without the body. So I just want you to think God's intention from the very beginning, I'm gonna create a people. They're gonna be holy, unlike any other people. And through their relationship with one another, I'm gonna show them how to be like me. And then I'm gonna bring all of them together and take their gifts, their talents, their resources, and I'm gonna use them to advance my kingdom. Everything God has ever intended to do, he has intended to do through a people, not a person, through a people. Now listen, in the New Testament, that people, that community is called the church. In the New Testament, that people, that community is called the church. The church is the people of God. The church is the place in which God shows his distinct holiness. The church is the place in which you get to look more like Jesus. The church is the place in which you take your one gift and your tithes and your offerings, which alone could never send a missionary, and you give them to the church. And because you gave them to the church and you gave and you gave, we can send hundreds of missionaries because you gave your money and your time and your talent, which by itself would frankly not do much. But combined with everybody else's, it does a ton. And what God wants you to do is to stop thinking about all God wants to do with you and think about what God wants to do with us. Because the entire story of the Bible is God's desire to use a people. And the church is the context in which all those things are going to happen. In other words, I believe those things will not happen. Meaning, you will not be a distinct follower of Christ. You will not continue to look more and more like Jesus. You will not be faithful in the mission of God without active participation in a local church. And one of the things I like to say right here a lot, just so you know, I'm not trying to get new members, is that you don't have to be a member of this church, but you have to be a member of a church. Remember, uh, Someone asked, you know, I was at a conference one time, there was a panel and someone asked one of the guys in the panel, is it possible to be a Christian without being a member of a church? And this theologian responded, yes, it's possible, but it's kind of like driving at night with your headlights off. It's dangerous and arrogant. That's what it's like being a Christian, but not a member of a church. It's arrogant because what you're saying is, well, I'm good. I got it. I'm good. Like, I don't need you. I don't need, I'm good. And it, it really is a, a dumb thing to do. It's a dangerous thing to do. I mean, it is the church that's watching over you. It is the church that is helping you be better. And listen, listen. You say, well, well, churches are so dysfunctional. Exactly. That's like the primary way God molds you into his image. By making you be stuck around a bunch of dysfunctional people. And you got to learn to be humble. And you got to learn to love them, even though they're annoying. This is the way it works. This is the way in which God is making us. So if your habit is to be just kind of on the outskirts of a church, I wanna say to you that if you wanna step into that new area of spiritual growth and really get in on what God's going to do, you gotta be willing to step in. You gotta, you gotta step in. 
You gotta find a place and step in. And I would even say in a church like this, let me go a further step. It's not just about being in a church, it's being in a community group. Because it's possible for you to be here and no one really know you. And no one know what's going on with you. And in, in our church, at least, our mechanism for keeping up with you and caring for you and loving for you is your involvement in a community group. So you've got to, if you want to experience all of these things that comes with the people of God, you've got to be willing to step in to a group like that and give yourself sacrificially participating in their lives. Now you say, well, what, is that, what does that look like? Well, it does look like Acts chapter 2. I want to take just a minute and, and read a couple of those verses for us. Um, Acts 1 and 2 really serves like Genesis 1 and 2, meaning it's a paradigm for us. Genesis 1 and 2 is a paradigm because what that means is it's a little picture of where we're actually going. So uh, Genesis 1 and 2 is what God wanted the world to be like, and it's what it's going to be like when Christ returns and establishes his new kingdom on earth. So we're going back there. Acts 1 and 2 is like the paradigm until he gets back. It is the church gathered, filled with his spirit, on mission, in relationship with one another. And part of that paradigm is at the end of Acts 2, verses 42 and following. Okay, here's what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. So I, I love this. I've preached this text so many times, and for some reason this hit me yesterday like never before. It's not just being devoted to the teaching, meaning Sunday night, Wednesday nights. It's being devoted to the fellowship. Well, the fellowship's that sacrificial participation. So they were not only devoted to teaching, that's easy. It's being devoted to fellowship that's hard. To the breaking of the bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. They had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's sacrificial participation. And day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So they went to church, and if that wasn't enough time, they invited people home. They were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The reason you have that last sentence and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved is because what it shows is this. When the paradigm is right, meaning you have a healthy church, what happens is people get saved. People's needs get met and people get saved. So this is the healthy church filled with the spirit together and individual people sacrificially committing one to another. Selling something, giving it to you. Selling something, giving it to you. We're involved in each other's lives. And by the way, you can't sell something to give to someone else unless you know that the other person has a need. And the only way you're going to know that someone has a need is if you know that person. Let's think about it this way. There's a book that, uh, on marriage that came out, I don't know, probably 15, 20 years ago, called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. The book's okay, but I can summarize it for you in a minute here and you don't need to read it. The, the subtitle of the book of this. What if God created marriage not to make you happy, but to make you holy. Here's his premise. If you walk into marriage and think the goal of marriage is my happiness, <laughs> then it may, I don't know, it might be that within a few hours, you realize this is not working out the way you thought it was going to. You might realize I've 
I've never had this experience, but you might have realized that your spouse did not exist for your joy. That your spouse was not completely consumed with meeting every need you possibly have. So if you go into a marriage thinking this marriage exists to make me happy, you're not gonna be happy and neither is your spouse. What if you went into marriage thinking this? This relationship exists to make me holy, meaning I stepped home and I was expecting everyone to make me happy, but no one even acknowledged I walked in the door. Well, what they did acknowledge is that I walked in the door and needed to do some things. But I walk in not thinking, okay, this is about me, but in this moment, as a means to be more like Jesus, I'm gonna choose to serve right now. So Philippians 2, I'm gonna put my needs aside and I'm gonna choose to serve. Well, all of a sudden, this moment, which in other ways would have just completely bothered me and put me in a terrible spin the rest of the evening, which happens sometimes, now becomes an opportunity for me to be more like Jesus. So it's a completely different way of thinking about marriage. What if this whole thing is God's way to say, I, I want you to be more like Jesus. And would that be easier in a sense without going home to the wife and the kids? Well, it actually is. Because when you're alone, there's no one there forcing you to be selfless. But when you go in to a bunch of people, you, you can either be irritated or selfless. Now listen, what if God created church not to make you happy, but to make you holy? What if God created a community group not to make you happy, but make you holy? What if God's whole goal in this was for you to step in this group, not waiting for everyone to serve you, but for you to step into the church and say, hey, pastor, can you tell me a group that I can get in where I can just sacrificially participate in everybody's lives? I've been a pastor for a long time. No one's ever said that to me. But that's, that's what it is. It's you stepping into group saying, this is God's means of making me more like Jesus. And the way in which that happens is giving me tons of opportunities to be humble, to die to self, to my to my own desires, to choose to serve someone else exactly like Christ did. And the truth is, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just something for us to receive. The gospel of Jesus Christ is something for us to reenact, meaning what I'm doing every moment of the day in community is choosing like Jesus to humble myself, to descend, to serve, to die. And here's the other side of it. When I do like Jesus, I experience his resurrection life in my life. So it is a death to self, but death is the means to the life of Christ. So it's not a negative thing, it's a good thing, but just the pathway to experiencing his life is always death. I think it's interesting how when Jesus said, come and follow me, we didn't actually think he meant it. Meaning, if you want to experience life, you got to go through death. And that's not just once, that's every single day. So God is inviting you into a community and he's saying, I know it's complicated and I know it's dysfunctional. And if your whole deal is, well, I got into this one and I didn't like them, so I went to this one and this one. Well, you got to find one that preaches the Bible, that's committed to the gospel, that is unashamedly preaching the truth. You just got to, Get in, it's messy, commit to it. And God will use it to not only do something for his kingdom, but to do something in your life. All right, let me pray and we'll answer a few questions.